You're listening to Grindhouse Courthouse. We put movies on trial to determine whether or not a film has committed too many movie misdemeanors to be considered viewable. Please rise for the Honorable Judge this episode. Welcome to another episode of Grindhouse Courthouse. Court is now in session. Your judge for this episode is me, Adam, joining you from my contemporary Japanese-inspired lake house. On trial this week is the 1991 buddy cop action film Showdown in Little Tokyo, directed by Mark Lester. With a budget of $8 million, Showdown in Little Tokyo returned a poor $2.3 million back in the box office and ended up going straight to VHS. The dismal return could have been due to it competing with other big releases at the time, such as Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Highlander 2, The Quickening, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Or it could have been due to Warner Brothers interfering, condensing the 92 minutes into 79 minutes, and overall just not liking the final product. We'll let you decide. Showdown in Little Tokyo stars a six foot five Swedish actor, filmmaker, martial artist, and a master of chemical engineer, Dolph Lundgren, and a whiny Brandon Lee as two mismatched cops who <laughs> team up to take down a vicious Yakuza drug lord played by Kerry Hiraku. No, damn it. Kerry Hiraku Tagawa. Ta- no, you could do God. it. Ker- Keep going. <laughs> this is so hard. Okay, someone, someone say it. Someone say it just so I can get it. Hiroyuki Tagawa. You fucking racist. <laughs> I am trying to get it right. Look, trying is racist. Now get it right. <laughs> There's nothing more racist than trying and failing. Yeah. <laughs> Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, <laughs> who has overrun the streets of LA with drugs, violence, and a somewhat so-so business model of distributing meth. Was that it? Did I get it? That I got it that time. Uh, the accent was weird on Tagawa, but pretty good, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. There's like eight tries. I think you slowed it down like how Tom did it. <laughs> yeah. I, eh, whatever. Today, we have Tom and Dave acting as a defense who are here to argue that Dolph Lundgren's penis is in fact the biggest they've ever seen on a man. On the opposing side of the courthouse, serving as the public prosecutors, we have Dylan and Matt arguing that Dolph Lundgren's penis is actually average and quite frankly, it's disgusting to bring it up in casual conversation or just before you're about to be killed by the Yakuza thugs. With that being said, let's begin. Defense. Let's hear your opening statement. Showdown in Little Tokyo is not a movie that you take your grandmother to see because it's got too much edge on it. She's going to cut herself. This movie is not for people who aren't with it, who aren't hip, who want (laughs) to see some sort of gritty crime drama, who want to see Shang Tsung or, uh, you know, you might know him as Kerry Hiroyaki um, (laughs) Tanalagawa, but you might... You might think, oh, like, is there any hero that could stand up to his villainy? Because I've seen him as Shang Tsung, and he's such a good villain. And I'm here to tell you right now, there's two people who could stand up to him. One of which is Brandon Lee, who got shot in the crow. We all know about that story. I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> the other is six foot five Dolph Lundgren. That's right, Mr. Uh, I must break him, Drago uh, Ivanovich. I don't know. He's got some kind of Russian name in other movies. But in this movie, he's playing an all-American super cop. And right from the get-go, the audience is just on this crazy roller coaster ride of punches and kicks, some submachine gun fire, but mostly punches and kicks. And it never lets up. It is a thrill ride. And you will not be disappointed spending your time with this movie, as short as it is. If only it could be longer. Thank you. No further statements from me. (laughs) Beautifully put. Prosecution, please share your opening statement. This movie is not for my grandmother. 
It's not for anyone's grandmother, and it is not for anyone at all. Just to set the mood for today's proceedings, I have prepared a haiku to describe my feelings toward this movie. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> a flexing bicep. So many stereotypes. This movie is dumb. Thank you. <laughs> this movie is awful. It is problematic. It has not aged well at all. I, I thought I would tie this back into some of the cases that we've also heard in this court and swiftly dispatched. This movie is like a sad combination of blood sport and hard to kill. You have all this homoerotic, greased up, muscle flexing, flying face kicks, plus some cops who are awful at their jobs. They cause more problems than they ultimately solve, murdering many people, causing all kinds of damage across the city of Los Angeles. And it's all mixed up with all kinds of awful, problematic, racial stereotypes, sexism, cultural appropriation, everything that you could imagine. This movie has just not aged well. In fact, Dolph Lundgren didn't really make another movie for another 27 years after this. Don't check his IMDb. <laughs> Don't bother fact-checking me. It's just, it's true. He's awful. And as Adam, as our wonderful judge Adam mentioned, this was directed by Mark Lester, who you will probably better know for directing Commando. We should all just go watch Commando instead, because that is somehow less problematic than this movie. Don't watch this. This movie sucks. Thank you, Matthew. Now, with both parties' opening statements out of the way, we will move into our first case. The introduction to the big players of this movie, in which the defense team will present. So, Tom, please, when you are ready. Now, I'm just a simple country lawyer. I don't know much about no fancy movie-making experience, but what I do know is strong characterization. Now, starting with our hero, Dolph Lundgren, what do we know about him? He's, he's tall, right? He's a big guy. He's huge. He's got a leather jacket in the movie. That's wicked. He hangs out in Little Tokyo. <laughs> Fuck yeah. What else do you need? So he's in his favorite little Tokyo restaurant wearing his leather jacket. And the owner comes up and she's like, oh, Dolph Lundgren, let me get you big penis. And he's like, whoa, now that's pretty fucking weird for you to say to me. And she's like, ah, no. And he starts giggling too. And it's this really nice scene. He, he cares about his community, you see. He's a nice guy. So then some fucking Yakuza thugs roll up in a convertible just in like broad daylight uh, with their like knives and Uzis and submachine guns. And they roll into this restaurant and they're like, lady, give us your fucking money or something bad's going to happen. And she's like, I will not pay Yakuza thugs any money. <laughs> and they're like, listen, lady, you're about to get fucking cut. And they're like waving the knife at her face. She's like, no, please. Who can help? Can anyone help? These are Yakuza thugs. They are old school. And they're going to need someone who knows the score. So Dolph Lundgren kind of like waddles out there. And he's like, hey, you gotta get a, get a, it's not how you do. And then they start like trying to kick him and punch him, right? Because like he's a cop and he's not going to let him get away with it. So they're punching and kicking. And there's a real good fight scene. And I won't, I won't spoil it because you guys need to see it. But they're punching and kicking. And, and it looks like, you know, uh, things are going to go just uh, the, the right way for Dolph Lundgren because he's really good at punching and kicking. And also he's 6'5 and like doesn't try in most of his scenes and it really shows. But that's not important. <laughs> he's so cool. It doesn't matter. Right. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah. I know one person listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. The rest of you will catch up. <laughs> so 
he's he's punching and kicking and then we've got another character who just kind of comes around the building into maybe it's his favorite restaurant maybe it isn't we don't know it's not important because he's the second good guy and that's brandon lee now both of them start punching and kicking the yakuza guys who are like oh my god we better get out of here not before like you know lighting the place up and completely ruining the building and probably shooting a bunch of bystanders but that's that's also not important because what's more important is stopping the yakuza so you know uh we've we've got these two good guys who like initially think that they're both bad guys because they're both like punching and kicking in their favorite restaurant right and this is drama let me tell you you might be bored by this point like tuning out but there's some real high stakes drama here where they're pointing guns at each other and they're like i'm a cop and then brandon lee's like no I am a cop and they don't they don't understand you know what I mean it's it's pretty great so they're 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 doing that right and then they have to go to a police station and like a Yakuza guy like breaks his own neck and Dolph Lundgren's character you learn has flashbacks about when a Yakuza killed his family with a katana just in the middle of the night and he remembers it and like can't talk about it it's really sad but that's not important because we're just setting up the major players right now so cut to a swanky Hollywood apartment or maybe it's like some kind of house party I'm not sure but it is a party and there's some lady there who's just casually doing crystal meth by the pool, <laughs> as you do now back in 1991 this was strange to see this movie is prescient it knows the problems of the future we just have to be smart enough to listen to it so she's doing a bunch of crystal meth at a party in front of other people who are like not even paying attention or acknowledging it they're just like yeah she's doing a crystal meth by the pool she loves that shit let her do it it's fine so she's she's doing all her crystal meth and then like uh, tia carrera shows up because she's in this movie and uh, she's like, oh, you got to go see this guy. He's like really cool and he wants to see you or whatever. Okay, bye. So she goes and that's where she meets Shang Tsung. That's right. It's the villain. And how do we know that he's a villain? Well, first, he's got the most evil face that you've ever seen. The dude just looks evil. It's great casting. Uh, Tom, can, we get, can we get a rundown on that, that actor's name real quick here? <laughs> uh, yes. I believe his name is pronounced Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa or... Uh, Carrie Hanabam Flanawam. So, Carrie Hanabam is in the room with Crystal Meth Lady, and all of his like gangsters are standing around him, and he's like, let's have sex right now. And like, no one's weirded out by it because they're evil, and this shows how evil they are. He starts like dry humping her with a sword and then cuts her head off. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense. Like, you know, there's other ways to describe it, but what you see is a real powerful scene. It's like Eastern Promises when uh, he fought naked in the bathhouse. This is basically the same thing, except he was clothed and wasn't fighting and kills a meth addict. So yeah, it's basically exactly the same in every way. And that sets the stage. You know who all the players are. You know Dolph Lundgren is from Japan and he's very tall and he knows all of the secret arts. You know that Brandon Lee is just a regular guy who um, is short. I think that's his only <laughs> defining characteristic. And Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa is just going insane on camera every scene he's in, cutting heads off and offering people crystal meth. And the most fucked up part about that scene is that the crystal meth he offers to her before he kills her is offered so casually. It's just in a bowl on his desk. Is that weird? <laughs> Anyways, I'd like to pass this back over to the other side to see what they have to say about anything. Whoo, that was a hell of a, hell of a rundown. And I think it hit pretty much every point. A couple things to clarify. So first off, wh what is Brandon Lee doing there? Does he just walk up he's on this cop. scene? Yeah, I know he's a cop, but... Yeah, he's a police officer. Police officers are at the heart of danger all the time throughout this movie. <laughs> yeah, but... Sometimes they create sometimes the danger. You mean Think all the time? That. They, 
all the time they he, create the he, danger. Exactly. He, so so here's the thing. At first, I thought you were wrong, Tom, because I thought there's no way this fucking director or writer created this impossible situation. But I think I think I was giving this movie a bit too much credit by thinking that way. So I thought that Brandon Lee was undercover and infiltrating the Yakuza and that he came in with the Yakuza guys. So can can I get dissuaded right. of that opinion immediately? Was he undercover yes, with the Yakuza? He was not. Okay. He was literally walking by. And he came upon He's it. not like those ironclaw Yakuza scum. He is, he is just, a police officer. Yeah, he's an off-duty cop right now. He's just roaming Tokyo. And he pulls out his badge and gets into that mess because he's a good fucking cop. I actually believe that Brandon Lee was supposed to be meeting Dolph Lundgren because they were going to be teaming up as partners. So this was going to be their first interaction. So he was walking to the restaurant to have breakfast with him. That was my understanding. Is that where you meet your partner? At a coffee shop instead of at the police department? Yeah, why not? They want to be buddies, Dave. That was my understanding of it. Do doctors meet other doctors that they work with at coffee shops? No. No. They go to <laughs> Doctor, the hospital station. Doctors are not allowed Just in coffee like... shops. This scene shows how awesome Brandon Lee can be, though, because he just jumps right into the action. No questions asked. He's not the cop right now. Your, your he Honor, into it. was was everything you just said, though, was that was that just what you assumed, or was that actually in the movie? Because I think you fell into the same trap that I did, which is, this surely can't be this stupid. There must be a better explanation for this. And the reality is, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is under my assumption because, again, this movie was a lot longer and a lot was edited out. So maybe there was some filler in here of Brandon Lee pulling out a piece of paper saying, Oh, I'm going to meet my buddy, my buddy cop. We don't need that shit. This is an accident. Apparently movie. not because Let's it doesn't into it. cause any type of confusion. <laughs> so do we, have a, do we have a formal rebuttal for this scene that Tom has beautifully displayed for us? Okay, I've got, a, I've got a rebuttal. So the Yakuza show up to this woman's diner, her tea house, or her little restaurant establishment, and they're going to extort her for some money. What do you think they would have done if she said, no, I'm not going to pay them? Maybe flip a table over, break a window or two, reorder her placemat settings. Would anything that they were going to do be at all, at all worse than what Dolph and Brandon Lee did to it? <laughs> Because hey, because hey. the entire thing so is credit where credit is due. The entire thing is completely trashed. Dolphin Brandon absolutely fucked up her restaurant. There's no denying that. That place was absolutely worse than when they got there. <laughs> but don't even think for a second that what the police would do would be worse than what those yakuza scum would do. Did you know that they put crystal meth in beer bottles? That's some sick shit. I yeah I do. We and, we do. and on, on, honestly, the city of Los Angeles would. Pay her back for that. The Yakuza wouldn't. That, that, That's the major point. Yes, and that actually brings up a, a fairly good question. Are there any consequences to Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee destroying this poor woman's tea house? Do they, do they apologize? Absolutely do, not. They saved her life. They, they do start just avoiding the police at a certain point in this movie, even though <laughs> they themselves yet. are police. They go back with that guy they arrested. Yeah, but they we'll do. get there. We'll get to the point where they start taking the law into their own hands. And it's a great transition. It's a great arc for both of them because they thought they were one thing, but it turns out they're actually just better than the system. Where, where the law fails, they need to take it into their own hands. Bushido, warrior cop. <laughs> okay, I have, I, have another, I have another point to criticize. This act, this director, thinks crystal meth is the same as cocaine and 
there's all, that's the only way the, the treatment of crystal meth in this movie makes any sense. They think yes. it's cocaine, right? It has to be. Well, like a party drug. Now, I'm, I'm just a simple country lawyer. I don't know the difference between no crystal meth and cocaine. Perhaps my opponents would be so good as to explain in great detail with all of their personal knowledge, perhaps? <laughs> I rest my Your case. Honor, I am a country lawyer as well, so I know crystal meth very well. <laughs> I'll tell you what it's not. It's not a fun party drug that people have displayed. It, it makes your teeth fall out. You scratch your face off. And if someone just starts smoking meth at a party, everyone starts freaking out. Everyone's like, what are you doing? What is, the, what is that? That smells like you're burning gasoline and ass. What is that? You obviously, you've obviously never been to an L.A. party. You're missing out. It's the life. <laughs> Sup, dudes? Come on over. Got some Coke, beers. There's meth on the table. Like, you know. Whatever you're just in. Just a good time. It was just a part of the culture at the time. And yes, they had those big riots a little while later. And I'm sure it's unrelated. I'm sure it's fine. What's a little crystal meth? Crystal meth. Always once. <laughs> okay. Right? I have another rebuttal. Please. Do you think... Wh why? Has anyone ever heard of a little Tokyo before? Ever? Yes, it exists in, Los Angeles. in the city of Los Angeles. Is that real? They shot on location. They actually ruined someone's business for this movie. They actually destroyed that building with a hail of gunfire. <laughs> Mark Lester's method, man. He believes in okay, it. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. I still think it's probably a way for them to get around completely ripping off Big Trouble in Little Chinatown, but like... Absolutely. Okay. Whoa, whoa, no one's mentioning anything about Big Trouble in Little China. This is Big Showdown in Little Tokyo. Completely <laughs> different. <laughs> okay, another question. Another logic point. Why the fuck did the Yakuza kill this guy's parents? <laughs> yes, thank you. We are diving into it. And by the way, by killing, I mean, the Yakuza boss butchered these two white people. The guy was like, on st like a military station in, in Japan. And we'll get to Dolph Lundgren being more Japanese than like oh, all yeah. the fucking Japanese people around him. But like, don't worry, we'll get the white knight shit soon enough. Yeah. Why would the Yakuza kill this random American soldier stationed in Japan with his family? What could have possibly happened? So, you know, you're you're living your life as a Yakuza underboss. You know, he was still coming up in the uh, the ranks. Oh, yeah, I should also add that it was uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa who killed Dolph Lundgren's parents. Uh, let's just let's just tie that up with a pretty bow right now because it's it's great. You know, there's there's no wasted screen time in this movie. So imagine that you're you know an underboss. And your boss is saying, look, I don't, I don't think you're really serious about this Yakuza life. I think I'm going to need to see some commitment. And what do you do? You go and you extort people more or you like cut off your fingers so that you're reliant on him for protection. Uh, yeah, you could do all those things. Or you could kill some Americans with a sword for no reason. What are you going to do? I ask you, you're the underboss. You need to prove that you're serious. And there's some... Dirty Americans living in your city. What do you do? You kill them. Thank you. Thank you. So my question back to Dylan and Matt is, knowing why his parents were killed, does that affect anything in this movie? Does it affect your enjoyment of this roller coaster of a ride? Do you really need to know why his parents were killed? Uh, yeah, it would help. Yeah. <laughs> why? It doesn't change the fact that they were murdered. Nothing's going to bring them back. They, 
No matter how many Yakuza thugs you kill, Dylan, they're never coming back. It's that they went out of their way to show us that his parents were killed by this specific guy. Do you need anything more than that? I think not. Yeah, it's not us. It's not us who need it. The fucking writers obviously were developing some kind of character connection between Dolph Lundgren and Kari Hiroyuka Tagawa. And then they abandoned it because they didn't explain why he killed his parents. They needed needed the characters to have the enemy. Yeah, no, you 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 have the connection. That's all he you killed need. his parents. That's the connection. No, need I need to, to know anything? why. You don't need to know more. They go out of their way to show they us enjoy this. Roller coaster. As if him cutting off the head of somebody else and then having this whole meth distribution business is not reason enough to be a bad guy in this movie. No, it shows how hardcore he is. It's got to be personal. You know, it's, it shows that he keeps his composure even in the face of great personal tragedy. Because there's a scene that shows up later on where he chance to kill Shang Tsung. He could just blow him away, and he doesn't because of his Bushido warrior code. All right. I That's think what I really established... want to focus on. I don't want to focus on, oh, this didn't make sense. Your Honor, fuck! <laughs> this is so hard with the choppiness, by the way. I, I think we have a clear understanding of the, the motivations of these characters. Good versus evil. Do we want to move into the next scene? The bathhouse brawl. Sure. Yes. Okay. Dylan, please take it away. Okay. I forget how they got to the bathhouse, but <laughs> yeah. What should we should we nail that down, or do you want to just go? No, I could I th- could use some help. <laughs> Why they're in a bathhouse at all? Because like this is... they they go to okay. So okay, so Brendan, they get to so, the bathhouse. Okay, this we is... gotta fill. I'll fill in the gaps because I remember the gaps. So showdown at fucking uh, dumpling house. They ruined this woman's yep. business, but one of the guys is knocked unconscious, so they drag him in. Brendan Lee and Dolph Lundgren drag him in and they're going to question him. And in the dumbest looking fucking scene ever, the guy commits Harry Carey, but he's in, see, he can't commit Harry Carey because he doesn't have his ceremonial sword. So what does he do? He breaks his own neck with his hands as if that's something humans can do, but whatever. Okay. Okay. So these two, Brendan Lee and Dolph Lundgren are two buddy cops. Dolph Lundgren is the real Japanese guy because fucking Brandon Lee doesn't even know his own culture, which means, in fact, he's pretty much more Japanese than Brandon Lee. And he speaks Japanese, too. And he is the last samurai. So they go to this club. (laughs) And the club is bumping. And who should be on stage? None other than Tia Carrera. Yeah, that's right. Wayne's World. Relic Hunter. Babe. (laughs) She is singing some shitty song. On the stage, <laughs> and these two guys were like, "Whoa!" Brandon Lee's like, "Man, I got a boner. It ain't as big as yours, cause I know you got a huge dick, Dolph. But man, do I got a boner!" And Dolph's like, "Uh," and he says something in Japanese. Anyway, then motherfucking what do we call this guy now? Yoshida. Yoshida, the uh, Yakuza boss, shows up, and he um, takes any opportunity to take off his shirt. He'll take it. And this was one of those opportunities. So he takes off his shirt in front of in front of these two men, these two cops. <laughs> and Dolph Lundgren's like, oh, my God, this is the man who killed my parents for no reason, and I'm not allowed to ask why, according to <laughs> Dave. <laughs> so this fucking Yakuza boss in like the worst stroke of luck happens to wind up in the city where one of his murder victims, children is like a kind of a cop who doesn't have to abide by any cop rules or anything like that, but is a cop. And so the showdown ensues 
Um, he recognizes the kid as the kid who cut his face. I forget how he recognizes him. But basically, there's going to be a huge fight until Brennan Lee's like, hey, if you do anything to us, you'll be in trouble. We're cops at this exact moment. Later, we won't be. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and so they get out They they, they get out of the club with this threat. Um, and in retaliation, Yoshida grabs Tia Carrera and rapes her. And then he takes her prisoner. Objection. How are those things related? Ta- Just time proximity. Just because went in and looked at his like naked chest doesn't mean that he gets to just rape the treasure hunter, does it? That's not retaliation. That's just a bad guy doing bad things okay. because he's a great villain. Coincidentally, he commits this sex crime on <laughs> Tia Carrera. Thank you for And takes her, Thank you. takes Thank her you. prisoner in his mansion. And like any good Japanese woman whose honor has been sullied, she's going to commit harikiri. Because that's how people kill themselves in this movie. <laughs> and, and just as she's about to do it, who comes flying through the window? Dolph Lundgren, the most Japanese white guy in this movie. Dolph Lundgren busts in. He's like, hey, don't do that. Anyway, here's a gun. It's like, I was just about to fucking kill myself, though. Yeah, point this end at what you want to die. And she's like, it's kind of myself right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then the big you know, fight ensues. Um, he kills a couple of minions. Anyway, him and Tia Carrera get out of there. They meet up with Brendan Lee, who is the most like emasculated. It's it's such a bullshit role. Like even like his dad would have rolled rolled over in his grave seeing his son have to play the same fucking shitty role of like the yeah like the the asexual sidekick. Basically, is the best way to describe Brendan Lee's character. He only exists to affirm. I got bisexual vibes from him. <laughs> he likes Tia and Dolph. He was madly in love with Dolph. I mean, this is the thing. Well, He's he only... sure has the quote of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he certainly does. The... We were all madly in love with Dolph. That's just the, the nature. When we were watching this film, we were all transfixed. And that's something that, you know, the judge might not admit to everybody. So let's just sit here and wait until he does. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have a crush on Dolph Lundgren. I think that's fair. Yeah, he is. Okay, even I will, I'm prosecuting this thing, and I will readily admit that he is a specimen in this movie. What a boy. He doesn't, first of all, he doesn't own any shirts with sleeves. (laughs) There are zero sleeves present in this entire movie for his character. And for good reason. And that's pretty much his character, too. He's better at being No, Japanese he does he everyone. does don sleeves at one point. Remember when he puts on the full traditional Japanese kimono to go to war? Even that has the sleeves. <laughs> Remember right sure that was sleeveless. Even that he ripped the sleeves off. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he tied it around. How are you going to get the guns out if they're covered? <laughs> Remember, this is a movie made in 1991 by the guy who directed Commando. You're going to see some guns. Before this he was a free ticket to the gun show. But Matt, weren't you going to make a really good point before Tom so rudely oh. and illegally interrupted you? Yes. About Brandon thank Lee. You. Thank you to my to my colleague. Yeah, Brandon Lee is You're welcome. His, his <laughs> essentially his entire character is just here to affirm the masculinity of Dolph Lundgren. His his character otherwise is completely flat, has nothing to do with him. And uh, you know, essentially just to show that Dolph Lundgren is the manliest man. He's the, he's the avatar of America here standing up to foreign invaders. This, this is where the movie gets kind of really problematic. I wrote down the quote from the trailer, the very first thing that you see. It might even be at the beginning of this movie, too. It says, for 400 years, talking about the Yakuza, for 400 years, they've developed their own mysterious traditions. Now they want to control the city of Los Angeles. And then the entire movie is just Dolph Lundgren being... Mr. USA, 
destroying all of Japan and being better at, at Japan than the Japanese people are. This movie is has not aged well at all. Yeah, it's like a movie of like the deep insecurity that was 80s masculinity of like, gotta have big dick, gotta have big muscles, stupid fucking foreigners suck and I'm better also at being a foreigner than you. And also chicks think I'm hot and cool and my sidekick, he also thinks I'm hot. Yeah, so like pretty much every Steven Seagal movie also would fall into this category. How angry is Steven Seagal that he wasn't cast in this role? I feel like this is just me. He's just like seething watching this on his VHS or his Betamax at home. He's just he's sitting, oh my God. sitting there clutching his limp wrists that he's like, oh, this should have been me. Uh. I was born to play this role. Tom? Dave? He probably thinks it's an autobiography. <laughs> I don't know, I'm still waiting to get to the bathhouse scene, to be honest. Oh, right. So, bathhouse. I still don't know how track. we get to the bathhouse. That Brandon Lee splits up with Dolph at the mansion, so Dolph saves yeah. the girl, and then Brandon Lee follows them to the bathhouse. That's how they get to the bathhouse. Okay, and then Dolph shows up after, a little bit later. Yeah. Okay, so they... Yeah, so then finally we get to the bathhouse. So the bathhouse scene is the first, like, real, real confrontation between the Yakuza and Brandon Lee and Dolph. And so it it does have very like Eastern Promises vibes, but done in such a shitty way that like <laughs> sucks. So the Japanese guys are all the yakuza are in their little cloth underwear thingies. I don't know how to describe uh, them. Fundoshi. Thank you. What are they called? The term is fundoshi. fundoshi. A fundoshi. Fundoshi. And that probably I played Tekken Seven. I know. <laughs> okay, so like they're they're stripped down to their fundoshis. And uh, and Yoshida is there with his minions, and basically, all right, fight ensues. Basically, the only thing worth noting is that there's this huge fat guy who's one of the sidekicks. He wears really cool shirts throughout this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes for the sneaky orca attack. That's right. He dives into the water. And he swims underwater. There's this hilarious scene of this like 280 pound fucking sumo wrestler guy just like swimming at Dolph Lundgren. And you're like, what the fuck? Is he going to like explode out of the water like a great white shark and just attack him or something? But uh, no, he just kind of grabs him and drags him in the water. And then Dolph stabs him in the stomach and uh, he just dies in the water. Fighting don't forget, he, he I don't also- know what. What he, also, no, he, double he also drowns. double drowns him. He takes a hose and he sticks it into his mouth while he's under the water. <laughs> <laughs> and what a great inventive kill. Almost as good as throwing change into someone's eyes to <laughs> <laughs> just top notch. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, I can't believe I forgot that goddamn scene when they're in the club. And uh, I, I don't know whose idea it was to, to that this would at all make any sense, but like Right when the confrontation between the Yakuza and Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee's about to happen, Brandon Lee just takes some coins out of his pocket and chucks it in the guy's face. <laughs> and his reaction is like, it's straight out of fucking blood sport when they... It's like he got glassed. He got powdered glass in his eyes. Yeah. And he's really... But it was like a like quarter, it's like three quarters and a couple nickels. Those don't fit in eyes. <laughs> <laughs> there was a dime in there. I saw the dime. Fucking dime. Dude, you ever had dime in your cornea? That'll ruin your day. Damn, pocket dimes. Um, I've not. 
That's the most realistic part of the movie, I yeah. think. Throwing dimes into someone's face. Right. It's distracting. So I don't know if there's anything else I'm supposed to say about this scene because <laughs> nothing happens. He fights, they fight the Yakuza once. No, they... they all get away. Nothing happens. Nothing's resolved. They have to fight each other again later. So what? why are we even talking about this scene? I don't know. <laughs> it's the first confrontation. It really matters. It shows like, okay, here's us on this side. A bunch of dudes who don't go to bathhouses except to start fights. And the dudes on the other side who are Yakuza and go to bathhouses to relax and assume that they were going to have a nice afternoon all together. Like people that you work with in a bath, <laughs> basically naked. That's awkward. I never did that when I worked. <laughs> I, never, I never did that. <laughs> so they're, they're in there and they're fighting. And there's even some creative kills. Because like not only does a guy get stabbed, but like you jam some water in his throat and with a hose and then that kills him i was legitimately expecting him to explode underwater but uh didn't happen so <laughs> I, I now that i'm thinking about it maybe this is a bad movie but, uh, what's really Come important to our side tom what's really important on that scene is uh after they're done they have this moment where they both realize oh my god that was incredibly illegal we just murdered a bunch of people we better leave <laughs> And that's character development. Right. Because you have some people who started out as police officers and end up as criminals, but they're desperate to stop true evil. And that's Bushido? I think that's Bushido. I'm pretty sure that's like rule number seven. It's insane what happens. Like, okay, granted, they do kill some people, but they're fucking full-blown Yakuza members. You know, there can be some, like, uncertainty if someone's, like, a crip or a blood or, like, part of the mafia. Yakuza's pretty fucking obvious. They're covered in koi tattoos all over their back. Like, mm -hmm. these cops have a very legitimate thing to say. Like, those guys are fucking Yakuza members and they were trying to kill us. And I don't know, like... I guess in the in the mind of this director, like, yeah, cops definitely won't stand up for each other. I think history's proven that they're they're very willing to like go after their own, especially in drug war cases. So it's just like so fucking crazy. They're just like immediately like, well, we can never be cops again. Let's go. <laughs> That's it. There's no more discussion. Like they both and not not even one of them like debates it. Really? Like we could probably go talk to the chief and like try to explain and say, nope, we're just not cops anymore. We are now vigilantes. And they're both just like, yep, okay, let's go. And now all that stuff that would give them a slight advantage with the Yakuza. The Yakuza should be pretty marginal in this story. It's L.A. It's not Japan where they could have their like tentacles into all these other aspects of, of the government and the police force. This is L.A. So they, they don't have their tentacles in anything, really. They're like the 15th biggest gang probably. But they're depicted as like all-powerful gang in L.A. when you're like, I don't think they are. <laughs> no, because later on, they have that scene where they're assembling all of the gangs to distribute their beer bottles full of crystal meth. Uh, ingenious distribution plan, A number one. I need to, yeah, okay, we need to, I need to flesh out the deal, details of this. So, you guys don't go to the third yeah, scene? Yeah, let's just, let's just keep, 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 keep it going. Yeah, let's keep rolling. The next scene, we do need to discuss probably the primary scene of this whole movie where we go to Dolph Lundgren's poolside. No, it's a lake. It's like a lakeside lake house? Japanese style house with like the paper walls and every, every stereotype okay, you can so imagine. We all know that Dolph Lundgren's salary as a police officer in the 90s in LA was probably multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? <laughs> right. So it's reasonable for him to have a fully furnished apartment with like beautiful fine wood finishing and whatever else. And then also have some weird lakeside stereotypical property that he jabbed a bunch of Japanese shit into. That's fine, right? 
That's not weird in any sure. way. Well, it's not. It's the opposite of stereotype. It's it's a Japanese house in the middle of the California woods, <laughs> and it's not. It's not like he just put Japanese stuff in it. It was built specifically to look Japanese. Yeah. I'm guessing there's not a lot of those houses. I'm guessing Dolph had it built specially for himself because, again, he's more Japanese than anyone else in this movie. <laughs> I think he built it by himself. He's skilled at everything, so I think he could do it. Yeah. Well, we all know what he's really skilled at, and that's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we, we see uh, two eight-second bits of from start to finish of sex scenes with him and Tia Carrere. There's not one. There's two. There's one where he's naked and he's he's in like a little hot tub pool outside and then she shows up and that's where they finally get together. And then about 30 seconds later, he's in his bed and then she comes in and then we see the entire sex scene. There's a, there's a there's there's a, no reason for a whole other one of these, but we see from start to finish it's all about 8 seconds we see, we see her get on and then get off. There are no cuts. There's nothing. I'm pretty sure this might have been Dolph's first time. You mean that isn't a realistic depiction of sex? <laughs> Hold on, I need to make a couple phone calls. <laughs> okay, so where I left off, we've been having a little bit of technical difficulty here, listeners, but uh, we're ready. We're back. We're back at it. The boys are back in town. We are picking up this story from right after the, the debaucherous uh, bathhouse scene where the two leads decide they're just not going to be policemen anymore. <laughs> they go... <laughs> So they decide they gotta go to the hideout. And where better to hide out than a traditional Japanese house in the middle of the California Sierra Mountains. So they go to Dolph's lakeside cottage that he manages to afford on his policeman's salary in addition to a sprawling LA studio apartment. And finally, we get down to some good old-fashioned fucking. <laughs> and Tia Carrera is ripe. Uh, Dolph is just chilling in his jacuzzi. And Tia Carrera shows up. She's like, hey, I see you in the hot tub. Yeah, turn around so I can get in. Okay. And so she gets naked early in her career, obviously. So we actually get to see some stuff. That was a body double. Was no! it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. What a bummer, eh? Oh. You mean I was furiously beating my meat to the wrong woman? Yeah, oh. unfortunately. All right, well, pff, we don't get to see shit. Even back then, she knew she didn't have to take her clothes off to get the great roles. Anyway, so they start fucking. Meanwhile, Brandon Lee, like the good, neutered, asexual sidekick that he is, just kind of slaying in the other room, listening to these two people have sex, and he's like, this is good. I'm okay with this. I'm fine with this. Well, it's not just that he heard, because he definitely heard them, but he also <laughs> watched them. Oh, yeah. He definitely we'll saw something. Matt, can, can you fill us in on the best line in this movie? Okay, so the, the Yakuza show up. They come to their little hideout thing, so they know there's going to be a big showdown that happens. Not in Little Tokyo this time. Just in this little uh, dojo place. And Brandon Lee says, On the precipice of the potential end of his life, he said, There's one thing I have to get off my chest. I have to say this before I die. Dolph, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. That's it. That's what he needs to get off. And Dolph is just he like just, he's thanks. spitting some truth right there. I, I guess. I love if, how he qualifies it. I love how he qualifies it with like, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. <laughs> like what 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 other context have you seen a bigger dick not on a man? Like, are we talking animals here? <laughs> 
What is he talking about? Why do you qualify it that way? He's definitely talking about elephant dicks. <laughs> that's what it has to be, right? Like, I love how he had to qualify. Like, that's the biggest dick I've ever seen. Well, I did see those elephant dicks that one time, so I better qualify this by saying, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen. For a man, I have seen just to, dicks on animals before. Just to avoid really, any that confusion. shows how good of a partner he is. Like he's a great partner, right? Because like, okay, so imagine like you know you're working with your partner and you're about to get killed by some gangsters that you've been working against a lot to take down. You know, this is the culmination of all your life's work because your parents were killed by them. You know, whatever. And and you're you're about to throw down after like reaching into a little cupboard and pulling out like, a bunch of like throwing stars and sigh and like nunchucks and all that kind of fun stuff. And your partner, who you're trusting to save your life, turns to you and says, you have a very large penis. Now, you're either going to fight so hard because you're like, I got to ask this guy where he's been seeing my penis. Or you die happy because you've got a huge dick. He's just a nice guy. And this is just a nice scene in the movie. Just, oh, very nice. Or, or and says thank you. you're super worried because you know the Yakuza are coming with numbers. And you and your fucking partner have decided that you're not police anymore, so you don't get any backup. And so, like, the one person, the one other person you can count on, you know Tia Carrera ain't going to help you. She, like, she's not going to fight for you. She's probably going to get kidnapped immediately. So the one person in the world who you can count on in this fight, you're like, fuck, man, I don't know if we're going to make it, but, you know, at least I have you. You're you're really good at martial arts and stuff. And that fucking guy (laughs) turns and looks at you... You're the only person you can count on in the street. He looks at you and goes, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. And you go, we're going to fucking die. We are definitely going to die in this situation. That's probably the more normal reaction. You just pump him up. Go All I'm saying is confident for this one. If I'm about ready to like kill people with my bare hands and or like medieval tier implements, I'm going to stab and throw my way to victory. I want someone to tell me that I have a big dick. I need that big dick energy to fight properly. He's just a nice guy. It's not weird or inappropriate or out of place or weirdly racist if you go with some of the earlier readings of that line. It's oh, fine. Yeah. It's cool. It's copacetic. Imagine like yeah, a the- World War One historical epic. Tom's in the trenches next to another soldier. The Germans are advancing on the front line. Turns to his buddy. Tell me I have a big dick. What? Why? Just tell me I have a big dick! Okay, you have a big dick. Alright, I'm ready! Fucking instantly mustard gas dies. I think I made him like bite his lip or something because he's just not reacting. Well, I, if I'd be lying if I have if, if, if I don't say to you right now that that is a scenario that I've pictured in my head multiple times, that would be a falsehood. Because you need to know that when I'm getting ready to have a great round in Warzone or beat someone in Tekken 7, I need to know that I have a big dick before I proceed. No, and I that's, mean, that's the mark of a good partner. Yeah. He's just telling Dolph Lundgren, look, you know all about Japan. I know you have a big dick. We're perfect together, even it's, though we're no longer police officers. Yeah, and it's clearly like a critical part of like great movie storytelling, especially war epics. Like, remember that scene in Saving Private Ryan when those two guys were on the landing craft steaming towards the beaches of Normandy? And Tom Hanks turned to uh, the fucking sergeant, and he's like, tell me I have a big dick. <laughs> and the sergeant's like, what? <laughs> or do you remember that scene in the opening of Gladiator when all the Roman centurions are, like, wind up, and they start launching the flaming catapults, and that one centurion turned to Russell Crowe, and he's like, tell me I have a big dick. And Russell Crowe's like, 
My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, and you have a big dick. Meridius, <laughs> commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and you have a big dick in this life and the next. So anyway, the Yakuza instantly kidnapped fucking Tia Carrera. <laughs> like, there's not even, they don't even have a fight, like, after all that. They don't even fight. They just literally immediately kidnap her. And they get taken to where the fuck is this place? It's like bottling the, auto the brewery wreckers? or something. No, they go to the auto wreckers. Oh right, because right. the way that in the car right, the way Yoshida kills people is by crushing them in the car compactor. How badass is that? Because then you badass. just have a little cube you have to throw away. He's a genius criminal, brilliant. Yeah. There's no downsides to crushing people in cars in like wide open areas where you can hear them <laughs> screaming like, "Help! I'm being crushed to death." <laughs> The machinery drowns that out. Oh wait, I'm for this movie. Oh uh, yeah, sorry, it's good. It's really good. Well, we should we should we should get to the yeah, final so I'm, scene. I'm I assuming think. that the heroes are able to escape we... the car compactor, and now so they get out without the yakuza knowing. Okay, the yakuza okay. thinks they're dead. That means they have time. They have time for a training montage, which is what we've all been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Because they escape. No in... movie like this is complete without a montage. Exactly. Of some kind. So they escape this trash compactor, the car compactor. He said, now we've got some time to prepare. So now here's the training montage where Dolph dons a kimono and like a karate headband and collects all of his Japanese martial arts paraphernalia. And that's the, what he's dressed like for the rest of the movie. Just a weird yeah. silk, silk robe with the sleeves lift, ripped off, of course. And yeah, the yes, gun. Meanwhile, back in back in LA, Steven Seagal is literally about to fucking explode watching this scene. Going, that should have been... Me! Yeah, he's he's foaming at the mouth. He is having a fucking aneurysm watching Dolph Lundgren put that goddamn Rising Sun headband on. There's there's got to be some point when Steven Seagal watches movie and said that should have been him talking about my big penis. That's probably what killed him. Get my agent on the phone. If I heard that and just like was super upset. Yeah, oh no one can talk about my penis except hot chicks. I'm not doing it. Pass on the script. <laughs> and the agent's sitting there smoking like, Steven, you gotta! You don't understand. They wrote it for you. It's got all that Asian shit in it that you like. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do it. This is where I draw the line. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> no man has ever seen my penis except my father, but he's dead now. <laughs> Steven! Steven, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was no coincidence. <laughs> So after the, the, the fast-paced montage of him getting ready, they have a straightforward plan of stealing a brewery truck and just smashing through the side of the wall. Oh, yes. And they do that. It's amazing. Like, pedal to the floor, right through the side of the building, and <laughs> they come in hot. I love how their plan in no way, shape, or form takes the element of surprise into account. Like, they're like, well, they think we're dead. So should we try and like get into like the perfect? Se- no, we drive a truck through the wall. Well, we could have done like that. Even- man. We could have done that even if they didn't know that we were dead. Yeah, well, that's the fucking plan. Okay. Dolph Lundgren said, "What's more surprising than a truck through a wall?" And Brandon Lee was like, "I just want to get that dick, so I'll agree with him." He's an honorable samurai. He's not a sneaky ninja. He comes in through the front door to kill people. Wouldn't this be oh, a prime opportunity for our heroes to regroup with the police force to, you know, have a giant squad of policemen <laughs> yeah. surround? No. Yeah. You no sorry, think. sorry. <laughs> this is a two-man team for punching and kicking. Your Honor, this is a man of action. This is a man of integrity. This is a man of morals. 
The police do not operate on his level. He is above them. He is above their law. He is above the law. He is also hard to kill. Thank you. <laughs> this last scene is where we actually get the subplot back into it, where the Yakuza are bringing the meth that we forgot about back into the system. Yeah. So that's where they're crashing. They're crashing the party of the Yakuza and the local gang. Right. Until you want and there it. is a big fucking shootout. A oh, lot yeah. of people get shot. So they come through the wall. They jump out. And uh, Dolph has a sweet one-liner. says, knock, knock, we're here. And just starts <laughs> shooting. It's fucking awesome. Like, there's no no way around. There's no nothing. You get in there. You smash that wall. And you start lighting them up. So you get the full tilt 90s action movie going. You got Dolph. You got Brayden. They're guns ablazing. They're going through this brewery. They're killing guys left, right, and center. There's a fire extinguisher going off in the corner. It's beautiful. Uh, I think we need to think we need to touch on this fucking scene for a second. So, yeah. oh. you know, we we kind of went after that one scene in Highlander when that fucking stagehand was like visible throwing the fucking styrofoam stone. That would have been completely acceptable compared to what we fucking saw in this brewery scene. <laughs> So we just saw a guy really excited to shoot off a fire extinguisher. I don't know what the problem is. So I need to describe the viewing, what happened during the viewing to really, really explain how fucked up this shitty goddamn movie is. Okay, so we're watching. The whole scene's happening. A giant Swedish guy wearing a kimono and a fucking headband is running around shooting people in this brewery. So already it's a dumbass movie. And then they, 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 they're, they're, he's chasing after Yoshida. And he's going past some of these pretty large brewing tanks. And it's just all pandemonium and stuff happening. And then I think it was Tom. I'm not 100% sure who mentioned it. But you see at the corner of your eye, you see a guy, one of the guys who you just assume is one of the other henchmen, kind of in the corner. And then you see Dolph Lundgren around the corner. A bunch of explosion shit happens. Like they shoot at him. Like a steam pipe starts spraying all over the place. And then Dolph kills another two guys. But yeah, so it was Tom who noticed. He said... What the hell happened to that other guy? And I was like, yeah. He was like right in the fucking center of the screen a, sh a, a second ago. And like, it's not like Dolph turned around to like deal with this other henchman. And so we rewound it. And what it turned out it was, was a fucking stagehand, dead center of the screen <laughs> in this scene. Dolph runs around the corner. You see the stagehand sitting in the corner with a fucking fire extinguisher in his hand. And then... When Dolph rounds the corner again and the henchmen shoot at him, what's actually happening is this fucking guy is spraying the fire extinguisher. And not only that, the fire extinguisher nozzle leans out too far and you can see it too. So this whole scene is just like this absolute bastardized thing that should have never made the cutting room floor. For a movie that's cut out, how much did you say, Adam? Like uh, like 20 yeah. minutes of its original runtime? They left this in? Yeah. I mean, I think exactly. that that alone has to win the, the argument that this is, in fact, a bad movie. Hey, well, credit it, where credit is due. When they showed him in that one scene, he was out of focus. <laughs> They're professionals, okay? It's not like they just had his face, Jerry, the prop guy, getting ready to shoot stuff off. It was Jerry's blurred face, the prop guy, getting ready to shoot stuff off. They tried. They did their best. Went to the Zack Snyder School of... Cinematography. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and he, he, he was out of focus. He wasn't that out of focus, though. <laughs> yeah, I recall seeing a smile the whole time. Yeah, you could yeah. tell what his, his facial expression is. This guy's smiling in the corner with a fucking fire extinguisher. There he is. There's Dolph. I'm ready for my cue. <laughs> 
<laughs> they keep moving on, and Dolph and Brayden have to split up because Yoshida goes one way, and then his mini mini boss bro goes another way, and this is Brayden Lee's moment to shine. He gets to pull out his kung fu on this guy, and he does. He beats the shit out of him, kicks him over a railing, and this guy falls into a fermentation tank, I believe. I think so. And then Brayden Lee has his best one-liner in the whole movie. Actually, second best. Sorry, his dick one was still better. <laughs> I agree. Second best one. He says, you have the right to remain dead. Flicks open a lighter and throws it in a fermentation tank and a huge explosion goes off. What more do you want from an action film? Yeah, Judge here. Sweet one-liners. Giant explosions. Judge here. Quick question. What do you want, Judge? Aren't they cops? Aren't they supposed to be serving and protecting? (laughs) Yeah, they're above the law and they can do whatever they want, Adam. They're hard to kill and they're above the law. They follow their own code. It's called Bushido, all right? <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. It's an ancient warrior code, all right? Rule one, if the police if the police start talking to you, break your fucking neck. Anyways, it was, it was Brayden Lee's, like, shiny moment, and it was lovely. He he really stepped yeah. into his role at that moment, I felt like. He really the... he gave the... He, he basically looked at the screen and gave that one-liner. It was beautiful. By the so, way, wasn't uh, that... Carrie Hiroyuki... Uh, Tagawa, his uh, his henchman, so Yoshida's henchman, his name is Tanaka in this movie, um, played by Philip Tan. He's the guy who was Shredder's sidekick in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, which is interesting that it was brought up as one of the competing films. So, so fucking Philip Tan was busy this year, or the year that they filmed this, obviously. He's in both those movies. That's a yeah. banner year for him, yeah. yeah. He made some bank, which, I believe. Which movie paid more royalties, <laughs> do you think? <laughs> Always a sidekick, but never the true villain. And if you if you want to know our opinion on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, please check out our uh, case on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. Uh, yes, the people versus soul magic. Well established. Case. <laughs> uh, so when okay. Bray Lee is kicking the shit out of this guy, murdering him to wait, death. Wait, I have a question for Dave. Dave, you mentioned a fermentation tank, and you mentioned Brendan Lee throwing a lighter in. What in the fermentation tank explodes? Uh, the pure gasoline they use. <laughs> the <fermentation. laughs> That, that Wait, you... So they were actually making beer there? Or oh, was that's it just a friend for Crystal Meth. That highly explosive Both. beer. <laughs> yeah. Don't you fermentate your beer with gasoline? I thought that's how you made your batch. Well, that's why pregnant women can't drink beer, right? Because it's actually just a bunch oh, of gasoline. Exactly. That's that's yeah. why. You don't want your kid turning into a transformer, right? <laughs> or do you? That's science. That's how that's how new cars are born. So while this movie magic was happening. We have Dolph chasing after Yoshida. They end up back in Little Tokyo. On the street during the celebration of (laughs) the Lunar New Year? I I can't remember what. They were celebrating something. I don't think the movie cares enough to have given us a reason for what this parade was for. (laughs) They did their research, but, you know, they cut it out explaining what it was to help the movie's runtime. So we'll never know. They were having a great party on the street. That's all I know. And... The samurai that Dolph Lumber is challenges him to a fight to the death with swords. And I don't know about you guys, but that's a great ending to a movie. A sword battle to the death? It's beautiful. You're seeing cuts. You're seeing people get stabbed. And then you get uh, Dolph Lumber kind of picks him up after he stabs him and launches him into a firework spinny wheel of death <laughs> contraption. And it's beautiful. It, 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 it has a real name. But in the movie, yes, it, it spins and then like sparklers go off. Uh, what happens after that? I can't and remember. I, I believe it explodes oh. again with the explosions. It's, it's awesome. You, you, never ending fun, never ending action. You're always at the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen next. 
the scene was great. It brought everything together. Perfect film. So did that spinning fire, was that spinning fire thing also made out of gasoline? <laughs> it must have no, been. No, this one was made out of uh, just uh, gunpowder, I believe. And the, the special effect... And, and all of the people, they know that he's so evil, they start clapping when he explodes. <laughs> so it brings everything around. You yeah, know? If you, it shows how good of a service he did to the public there. there. How would they, they know? Bow to him. If you just saw two people fighting with swords and then one of them gets impaled and thrown into a spinny thing and it explodes, how would you know which one is the good guy? <laughs> they just, okay, they so know remember. who the Yakuza is. <laughs> so, just... so, remember, they do know who the Yakuza is. All the Yakuza does in Little Tokyo is drive around and extort business owners with like knives, waving them in their face, and put crystal meth into beer bottles for the explicit purpose of distributing it so that you can have crystal meth while you watch your football game. I believe that was his stated plan. Foolproof, so, apparently. So they so, know he's evil. They know he deserves to die. If I follow the defense's argument here, they're trying to put themselves in the position as one of these bystanders. So you're a, you're a, you're a humble Japanese laborer out for the uh, good old Lunar New Year festival. And you see some giant blonde white guy fucking murder this Japanese guy. And you have two <laughs> options here. You can either go, holy fuck, what's happening? Call the police. There's some crazy man who just stabbed this guy. Or, or you can applaud. <laughs> and they chose. <laughs> they, they, some, these people went, well, I don't know all the background info here, but that giant white man does look like the good guy. I think I'm just going to applaud here. That's probably the best course of action. Uh, clap, 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 They're clap, applauding clap. just the honor in that system they had. It was a fight mm. to the death. And what system yeah, is that? I respect that. Bushido. Bushido. Okay. The way of the warrior. Did you know that rule number seven in Bushido is actually loyalty? <laughs> Anyways, thanks, everybody. <laughs> and by the way, this is the great scene where, like, you know shit's going down because Dolph finally decides to take the kimono off, which, like, oh, Brandon yeah. Lee probably should have been like, Dolph, what the fuck are you doing? You've been wearing like a muscle shirt this whole time, and now you decide to put on this highly restrictive kimono? You can't move around in that thing. Shut up, Brandon Lee. <laughs> okay, I will, but still, if you get into a sword fight or anything, make sure you take that off. Yeah, right, like that's going to happen. Anyway. He woke up that day expecting a sword fight. Let's, let's be perfectly clear. Even though I do thoroughly enjoy this movie, our main character wakes up looking for shit to start. Oh, yeah. yeah. He loves getting in. That's sword fights. the sign of a good cop, I believe. Bushido. Looking to get. But we've shit. already established that he's not a good. He's not cop a good did. cop. He's not a cop anymore. They stopped. He him. is a good. How how do you say he's not a good cop? Just because he he's killed good... some guys, some bad guys. Warrior officer. Doesn't. Yeah, they're all he's, bad. He's though, right? some kind of samurai law enforcement officer. Some sort of samurai. <laughs> okay, thanks. It was three hours you for you to it. get to that joke, but I made All it. Right. Thanks, everybody. Got Dave, it. and what are you talking about? Like, killing is killing. Like, there's no justifiable way that you could kill someone, like, out of revenge, even if that form of revenge is, like, based on an idea of, like, equality. What do you think on the matter, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're describing it that way, Maybe. But if they're bad to the bone, like all the villains of this movie, because that's how clearly this movie shows it, it's okay. All right. So let me get this straight. Murdering the intolerant is, in fact, tolerable. It's the highest expression of tolerance there is, in fact. Can't get higher than that. Well, I've learned something here today. (laughs)
So did we all. Yeah, I'm not sure. Possibly about ourselves. I think we learned that Dolph has a giant penis. So we're all with that, with our conclusion, do we want to go into closing statements? Dylan, do you want to present your closing statements for this movie? Yeah, okay. So I'll begin. So much like Crouching Man, Hidden Fire Extinguisher, (laughs) this movie was... Oh, man. I shouldn't have led with it. Now I can't think of anything funny. Yeah, you you peaked. It's all downhill now. Can't do much better than perfect. Sorry. Guess that's my closing statement. Rename this movie Crouching Man and Crack Extinguisher. Dolph Lundgren's got the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. Dave, closing statements. So this movie is when you want to call up all your buddies, you get some drinks, you get your damn popcorn, you sit down, you're in for a ride of just pure action. That's all you need. It's a good, some crystal meth on the side. It's just falls to the walls action. Keeps you entertained for a good hour and a bit. And it's lovely. Thank you. Thank you for that. I've got, I've got one thing I'd like to say before we we wrap it up. Uh, I too have written a haiku. Uh, This movie has inspired me to become a little more cultural with cultures that do not belong to me. I will appropriate them, if you will. This movie is good. Please see this movie today. Don't fuck me, Adam. Thank you. I don't think that classifies as a haiku. Can't spell appropriate without appropriate. (laughs) All right. This concludes the trial of the 1991 crime bust and feel good buddy cop movie showdown in little tokyo thank you for bearing with us with all our technical difficulties wait what what what's your yeah, verdict, what's your oh. verdict <laughs> right i forgot totally forgot i had to do a verdict for this you know that that thing that you do at the end yeah uh so yeah i i i am actually in agreement with tom and dave for this uh for this movie my verdict goes to actually watching it uh, and the main reason for this is just due to the pacing. It happens so quickly. You're just blasted with so much action right in your face that you have no time to process anything. So if you like... A, you just have to guzzle it down. Just guzzle it down. You, you have just, to guzzle that action down you your just throat. just take it one at a time, each scene coming at you. And yeah, you just enjoy it with the boys. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my verdict with this movie. So if you like action movies that are a bit too fast for you to process showdown in little tokyo is for you thank you that concludes this episode who likes that what do you look for in a movie i want an action movie i can't really follow <laughs> i i want it to be over as soon as possible can i get a runtime of like 20 minutes that sounds oh great God, yeah this jesus and with that the court is adjourned Come back next time for a new trial with new litigants in the never-ending parade of schlock that is Grindhouse Courthouse. Motherfuckers.